Veterans Path, helping veterans find peace, acceptance, transformation, and honor through practical tools like meditation and mindfulness, physical and outdoor experiences, and a community of camaraderie. I'm John McCaskill, a Navy SEAL commander turned mindfulness teacher. Here on the Veterans Path podcast, I interview veterans, athletes, corporate leaders, and many others who found peace through the practices of meditation and mindfulness, breaking down the stigma of pursuing mental health and making it a priority, improving and saving lives. All right. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good day. I'm John McCaskill, your host, and thanks for tuning in to the Veterans Path podcast. This podcast is just a piece of what we do. Veterans Path is actually a nonprofit working to introduce veterans and active service members to meditation and mindfulness, typically in outdoor settings, so they can find a sense of peace, acceptance, transformation, and honor. That's where the word path in our name comes from. And the point of this podcast is to make people more aware of what we do to increase support of Veterans Path, increase attendance at our retreats so we're able to help more veterans, and finally, to reduce the stigma around mindfulness, meditation, and seeking mental health support. Listeners and viewers, if you're enjoying the show, please give us a review or a like and share the show with anyone and everyone you think could benefit from our message. Also, you can directly support Veterans Path by clicking on the support button on the podcast or by visiting veteranspath.org forward slash donate. Today, my guest is Norfolk, Massachusetts Police Officer Michelle Palladini. Michelle is widely respected for her policing expertise and leadership in areas of positive youth development, mindful policing, and human resiliency. Michelle excels at her multifaceted position with the Norfolk Police Department, but she'll be the first to tell you her longstanding success is attributed to her living her dream job and it certainly shows. A strong proponent of community policing and building villages to instill, nurture, and foster a strong fundamental support for children, her zeal for bettering the lives of others took on an amazing life of its own. She was inspired to develop the Leadership, Empowerment, Awareness, and Protection, or LEAP program in 2013, which offers a solution-focused method for connecting the police with schools as a pathway to children's success in four areas happiness, health, safety, and resilience. Michelle is a certified yoga and mindfulness instructor with 15 years of personal practice. She brings wellness to the forefront in all areas of her work, whether with children, families, women, law enforcement officers, or first responders. She is a highly sought after speaker and trainer using her authenticity and passion to help others cultivate a great sense of compassion connection, and community. We're going to get to know a lot more about Michelle, her work as a police officer, her yoga and mindfulness teaching and practice, and her speaking gig. And that's all here in today's episode of the Veterans Path Podcast. All right, welcome back. As mentioned in the intro, my guest today is Norfolk, Massachusetts police officer turned mindfulness guru, Michelle Palladini. Welcome to the show, Michelle. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you with you with me here today. Um, so how's uh you are in Norfolk, Massachusetts. I'm down here in Norfolk, Virginia. How is it going up there in Norfolk, Massachusetts? We are hanging in there. Yeah. Um, it's been a, yeah, with the crisis going on, it's been interesting. Uh, we're seeing our calls for service are definitely increasing as people are 
at home, quarantined, you know, family violence, substance sure. abuse. We're seeing a lot of that happening. Um, in addition, it's just been kind of a quirky month for us weather-wise too. We've gotten snowstorms, we've had rain, we've had 60 degree days. It's been, so it's just, it, I feel like I'm in a bit of a fog right now, but yeah. it's okay. We can, we can move through it. So. Yeah, well, definitely people need what, what you're putting out there right now with the uncertainty and the anxiety that everyone is experiencing with, with the COVID-19 pandemic. My sister's a, a licensed clinical social worker, and she said that there has been a, a huge increase in domestic violence because everyone is living on top of one another. They're all stressed out. Uh, I mean, working from home. So I can only imagine as a, as a first responder what it is you're seeing um, in, in, the, uh, in the world up there. So mm -hmm. did you actually grow up there in, in Norfolk, Massachusetts? I grew up in the neighboring town of Franklin, uh, which is where I currently reside. Uh, so I have a nice 10 minute commute to work. Nice. So for our listeners, uh, Norfolk, Massachusetts, that's close to Boston, right? It is. It's about uh, 40 minutes south. So if there's any Patriots fans out there, we border the town of Foxborough where the Patriots play. So gotcha. that's sort of a geographical uh, landmark. <laughs> yeah, New England. I mean, how, how are you guys doing without sports? I mean, you guys dominate just about all the sports out there. And now, now there's nothing. So what are you guys no. even doing? It and we lost Tom Brady, so I know, you know. right down to Tampa. <laughs> I know, and apparently Gronk's going to come out of retirement too and go yeah. play for Tampa. Yeah, so, you know, I saw we're, that. We're fighting a losing battle all around, but <laughs> yeah, no, it's been it's been interesting, and it's you know it's just an interesting shift to see just not only in our society but in all of the things that we really gravitate to to promote that sense of culture and uh, community within our, our our own spaces. It's it's interesting for sure. 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 Well, uh, I want to get into a couple of things here. On, on your website, you mentioned um, your childhood where you talk about often <laughs> you were found pulling a red flyer wagon that collected <laughs> canned goods for the homeless. Uh, what, ex what inspired that and how old were you when you were doing that? I was really young. Um, you know, my, my parents always said that as a young child, uh, you know, I was walking very early. I read very early. And I think I just sort of had this, this greater awareness of the world around me at a young age. Um, and I think that really lended itself to wanting to give back. And, and I was the kind of kid that I saw things wrong and I, I wanted to fix them, uh, much to my detriment as I got older, because that lended to perfectionism and, you know, all of those, you know, other things that come with that. But I really wanted to be of service to people and, you know, I really gravitated towards you know, things like recycling and, you know, back in the eighties when that wasn't really a thing as it is now, <laughs> um, you know, I wanted to be a vegetarian, so I didn't hurt the animals, you know? So I just, I was a kid with a big heart. I was very inquisitive. And I really think that sort of, um, I, I bring that up a lot because it really kind of paved the way for the work that I wanted to do in the world. But it's interesting because somewhere along the way, the wheels fell off the bus, so to speak, which is when mindfulness came into play. And I feel like I'm at the point in my life now that I've kind of cycled back to the child that I once was with the big heart and inquisitive and wanting to be of service. And I've kind of come full circle after losing it for many years. So, Yeah, I definitely want to get into, um, if you're comfortable discussing that losing it here shortly, and then, uh, and then you're discovering mindfulness and how that all came to be. But um, and you mentioned your kind of your heart of service. So I'm assuming that's what inspired you to become a police officer. Um, how did you enjoy 
being a police officer at the start? Uh, you know, I, so I grew up, my father uh, is a retired Massachusetts state trooper. And so I, I grew up within the field, but my father was very much the type that he really didn't bring work home with him. He was very careful about leaving work at work. And when he was home, he was home with us kids. So I don't, I don't know that I was necessarily prepared for the challenges that I was going to face simply because my, my father didn't dwell on it. My father is also a very humble guy, you know, so he would, you know, do some great work, but he wouldn't come home and, and gloat about it. Very, very humble. And so when I started, I kind of had this idea that policing was going to be this, this real opportunity for me to be of service and to help people. And I quickly found out that it was a lot of quite honestly, really boring motor vehicle stuff, you know, stopping cars for speeding. That just really did nothing for me. I really just didn't care that much about the traffic aspect of it. And I really wanted to dive into, you know, working with people on a, on a close basis to really help make a difference. And I figured that I might be able to do that by getting into the detective division and helping, you know, victims of crimes or working with sexual assault victims. That was another interest that I had, especially being a female and many of our survivors of sexual assault are female statistically. So I had a lot of goals, but I was kind of um, not burnt out, but kind of dissuade very early on because a lot of my coworkers would say, well, you need to be here for 20 years to get into one of those specialty positions. And so I got kind of jaded because I said, you know, is this all it's going to be, you know? stopping cars for speeding, responding to domestic violence, and not feeling empowered enough to do anything about it. My stance now is that a line patrol officer can certainly go the extra distance and really be of service to people, but I was never taught how to do that. And so I kind of stayed in my lane, you know, paramilitary organization, and I did what I was told. And I really felt like at the end of the day, you know, we were arresting people, we were locking people up, we were, you know, doing all of the things that we're supposed to do. And of course, there's a certain element of like fun to that too. You know, we're going to go out, we're going to kick in doors and make arrests. And but at the end of the day, I never felt good about any of that. I never yeah. felt like I was contributing. You know, we can't arrest our way out of the problems of society. And that really started a lot of kind of depression for me. And I really became jaded and I really became somebody that I wasn't anticipating I would become, that I was kind of going to work, going through the motions. And I was very young. I had started when I was 22. And so I was just going through the motions and it was more important to go out and have beers with the guys after the shift at night. And, you know, it's part of the culture and sure, sure some of that's okay. But when it's becoming an every night thing, it's, it's not okay. So. Yeah. So uh, that's how I, my next question was, uh, you, you know, you had found meditation years later, but how did you deal with the stress and fatigue before you found meditation? And I'm assuming that's, uh, that was one of the methods was just um, going out after the shift with, uh, with the other police officers having a couple beers. Is, is that, is that how you were dealing with that? Yeah, definitely. It was, um, you know, it was a very unhealthy lifestyle. I was predominantly working the, the three to 11 shift um, in the evening. And so I'd get off work at 11 o'clock. We'd go to the, you know, one of the local bars and then we would sometimes continue on at somebody's house. And, you know, I was young, I was single at the time and it was, you know, 3.30 AM where I was rolling into bed and, you know, and then I'd sleep till 11, 12. Sometimes I'd get up and try and go for a run and keep myself in shape. And that slowly fell off too. And then I'd be back into work at three, you know, so it yeah. was, uh, you know, eating like frozen waffles for breakfast and I mean, it was just, 
just it's terrible. a vicious cycle. <laughs> it totally yeah, is. for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I can, uh, you know, being in the military, when we deploy, you know, that's stressful because obviously we, we understand what it is we're going to be getting into and there's, uh, there's dangerous uh, situations that we're put into. But I can only imagine uh, kind of the back and forth that you experience as a police officer, as a law enforcement officer, um, where, you know, day in and day out, you're having to kind of ramp up. Your amygdala is in constant, um, you know, fight or flight. Uh, mode where, you know, even if it's just a routine traffic stop, you never know what that stop's going to turn into. So I'm, I'm sure that at some point, you know, your, your adrenals are fried, your body is fried, and then getting out with the, the, your teammates and, you know, having a, a couple of beers and kind of decompressing, that's, that's a way to handle it. Um, but then, yeah, as you mentioned there before, it, it turns into a, a vicious cycle where, you're not taking care of yourself and because you're not taking care of yourself, it gets even worse and worse. So how were you eventually introduced to meditation and yoga? Yeah, it's, it's exactly like you said, you know, it was living in this constant state of fight or flight, trying to handle, you know, the trauma of what we and similar to the military, right? It's like when you're, when you're in it, you're like, oh, I'm tough. Like I can handle this. No big deal. <laughs> and then, you know, sometimes even years later now, I mean, let's see, I started in 2004. So looking all the way back, you know, and sometimes I think of things that really kind of bothered me on the job or like a difficult call that I went to or something really traumatic that I experienced. And I, it's like we stuff it down and we stuff it down and we stuff it down until you get to the point that it all bubbles to the surface because it always does. Right. And I think that's what happened for me. It wasn't just what I saw and experienced on the job, but you know, I was kind of going back to things that happened in my teenage years that were traumatic and it all came to the surface. And when it did, I was in a really, really tough place in my life that I realized I was actually self-medicating with the alcohol. It wasn't just about going out and having beers with the guys after work. It was the only way I knew to make myself stop that, those racing thoughts and that patterning in my brain and in the alcohol I thought was kind of quelling that. Sure. And so what I did was I switched my shift thinking that, well, if I work midnights, then I won't have to go out and drink with everybody after work. But then I just started drinking at 7am. Oh, so wow. yeah. And by myself. So that was sort of the wake up call for me that I really needed some support around this. And I didn't even look at it like I had an alcohol problem per se. I just thought, you know, well, I'm probably just drinking a little bit too much or I'm feeling kind of depressed. I need help for that not realizing that my body had really become addicted to the alcohol right. and it, you know, and it wasn't just the alcohol, it was being addicted to that outcome, the way it made me feel. Yeah, and so sure. I met a really great uh, psychologist who, you know, and it took a lot for me to kind of say, uh, put up the hand, you know, I need help. And of course, you know, stigma and I didn't want to tell my job. So I sought help on my own. And Nobody at work knew that I was struggling. I, I carried, you know, my, my depression and my anxiety pretty well. And um, so I started working with this psychologist and he's this, um, you know, Jewish guy from like greater Boston. And he was talking about all these like Buddhist and Hindu tradition. And I'm like a Catholic. And it was just like really kind of a cool, it was like, you know, a Catholic and a 
Jewish person walk into a bar and they have a conversation <laughs> about Buddhism. It was like so bizarre. And so we had some really, really great high level conversations. And I was always intrigued too by sort of the Eastern traditions. When I was in college, um, I went to a uh, Catholic college, but we had to study, you know, different religions as part of our core requirements. And I took a lot of courses in Eastern traditions in college because I really saw that there was something to it. I really liked the contemplative aspect of the Eastern religions. And so this psychologist that I worked with, he said, you know, Michelle, a lot of this like mindfulness based work really has nothing to do with religion. Cause I was a little bit conflicted with that too. Sure, you know, sure. I was like, I don't know that I want to become a Buddhist or a Hindu or, you know, I, right. I don't know that that's my path. Um, and he's like, listen, you don't need to do any of that. And so he had mentioned John Kabat-Zinn who, you know, anybody who knows anything about mindfulness knows that John's been around for a long time. And yeah, especially has, up there in, in new England. Yeah. In yeah. He's like the father of mindfulness here yeah. in uh, Massachusetts. So he introduced me to his work and he said, you know, John Kabat-Zinn created this mindfulness-based stress reduction program to help people with chronic pain. And the same is true for, you know, the mental pain that we experience. And so that was kind of my introduction to mindful practice. And, you know, this was before mindfulness was really what it's become today, where it's right. kind of a buzzword or a catch-all for many different things. But for me, it was really finding practices that could help support me in managing my thoughts, feelings, and emotions rather than suppressing them. Yeah. Uh, that going back to the, the drinking and, uh, and, you know, some of the things that you just mentioned suppressing, you, you know, the body keeps the score, right. And, uh, and then as that stuff bubbles up and then you try to push it back down with the alcohol, it just, uh, it just comes up faster the next time and, and with more force, so finding something else uh, to deal with it, I think is, is hugely important. And I'm glad that you did. Um, once you were introduced to MBSR, uh, you know, what was the road to get to where you are now as far as uh, such an avid practitioner and uh, advocate for the practices? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, the practice was, was very slow to start, but I would say that it probably took me three years to really have a grasp and an understanding of how much the practice was benefiting me, you know, and at that point, I had probably been sober for a couple of years. Uh, nothing really else worked in terms of like the journey into sobriety. It was really just working with this doctor and kind of developing a mindfulness practice. But then kind of fast forward to my integration back, I had taken a break from police work uh, during this. And, and honestly, it was on my own uh, volition. I was really ashamed. Um, I had to tell my job, you know, that I was struggling with, you know, some mental health stuff. And um, at the time, my job wasn't overly supportive of that. We've, we've really changed as a profession. Uh, now in 2020, there's a lot more support for officers who are struggling. Uh, but I had a lot of shame surrounding that. And I really leaned on my mindfulness practice to help uh, cultivate this, this sense of worthiness and to feel like I was safe enough, you know, to return to work and to really not only kind of be there for myself, but to be there for my brother and sister officers. And I could, you know, really come full circle and I could come back to work and, and feel confident that I could do the job and could also handle the aspects of the job. And um, it really gave me this sort of inner confidence and the ability to, like um, JKZ says, it's like not like riding the waves, right? And yeah. learning how to surf, 
So it was kind of mindfulness didn't make everything go away. It just made things a little bit more level. So I could see my mind and I could see my breath as, you know, sort of this like still water that when the waves came, I could sort of like bring myself back again. And that journey really brought me into a lot of my work with my community and really kind of wanting to cultivate these practices with younger kids. And so I embedded uh, a lot of this mindfulness-based uh, practices and programming into my work with kids in the schools and the community that I work for now. And that sort of then kind of spiraled off to me training officers and teaching them ways that they could bring these practices to kids because it was really my kind of informed understanding that the adults that we police are the kids who never learned these skills, right? They never learned about resilience. They never learned how to manage their feelings. They never learned how to have the sort of self-awareness that, you know, mindfulness can give us. And as I was working with the officers, they said, well, this is really great that we can teach this to kids, but I want this. I, I want to learn how to do this myself. <laughs> and then that's what kind of started me working, you know, with, with first responders. And uh, here I am today and I'm still, you know, trying to learn. I'm still, you know, I'm, I'm embedded in a um, pretty substantial yoga program right now to get um, more teaching certifications and you know, every day I'm, I'm learning something new about the practice. And I think we have to be lifelong learners and that's what keeps me on the path for sure. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, what you mentioned, the certifications, what certifications do you actually have and, and what did getting those certifications consist of? Mm -hmm. So I think the biggest thing, and I have a lot of people who ask me that the biggest thing is having a very strong personal practice because we can read all the books, we can take all of the courses, but unless you're sitting on your mat, cushion, chair, whatever it may be, if you're not sitting every day and practicing, everything you read is, is going to be all for naught. You know, you have to practice. And so I went through several training programs to teach meditation. I went through a certification program to teach children's yoga and mindfulness. And I'm currently enrolled in a 200-hour training to teach uh, yoga for adults. And I've had other trainings kind of peppered in there as well. But you know, again, it's that lifelong process of learning, but it's every day, you know, getting up early, getting, you know, into my meditation and ending every day with meditation. We have to. Nice. So for you personally, um, what do you feel the benefits are of, of practicing in everyday life? And then specifically, what are the benefits for someone like a law, law enforcement officer? What, what do they experience? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so if we if we look at really the benefits, and I kind of look at it in several ways, the first being the self-awareness piece. So it's the ability to almost zoom out and to see your life almost from above and to be able to detach from the incidents that are happening in our life and just kind of be curious about them. And this is something that mindfulness really teaches us is how to bring this quality of non-judgmental awareness to our experiences. And so when I have a disagreement with a coworker about how, you know, we each wanted to handle a call differently and, you know, we're bantering back and forth and I'm able to kind of step back and say, all right, I can see his perspective, but I can also see that I'm reacting to the way that he's disagreeing with me because, you know, I'm taking it personal, right? And so yeah. mindfulness sort of allows us to do that. And that's also the ability to kind of pull back from that fight or flight. And we can sit here and say, well, it's just a just disagreement with a coworker. That's not 
putting you in fight or flight and it's, it's most certainly putting me in fight or flight and it's creating all of these protective mechanisms that are bubbling to the surface. And I'm somewhere in my subconscious thinking about that time that, you know, somebody yelled at me as a child and right. So all of these yeah. things are kind of coming up and I can, again, look at that non-judgmentally and say, okay, of course, like I'm offended by what he just said to me. Of course I would feel this way. And just that statement of, of course, really gives us the ability to self-reflect and to say, okay, this is why I'm reacting and it's okay. Right. And so mindfulness gives us that, that level of self-awareness that we can kind of sit with it. And then to that point, it also helps us build empathy with other people. And so I can look at the experience of my coworker and say, I could, it's easy for me to sit back and say, well, he's just being stubborn. He should know he handled that call wrong and he should see it my way. <laughs> but empathy allows me to say, hey, you know what? He's having his own experience right now in right. this disagreement. And he's bringing everything from his experience to the forefront, which is creating his own reaction. And so the same is true for the public. And so for police officers, we're dealing with the public on a daily basis. And it's so important for us to be able to respond instead of react, to be able to manage and regulate our own emotional state so that we aren't coming into a call already up here when we're dealing with, you know, somebody who just pounded the crap out of his wife and he's up here, you know, right. it's like trying to meet force with force and it doesn't work. But if we go into that call, and maybe we've taken a few breaths on the way to the call to sort of regulate our nervous system, have that sort of cortisol awakening that we're able to do through the breath so that when we arrive at the call, our stress hormones aren't like through the roof and we're able to walk into that call. And maybe the outcome isn't what we would expect. Maybe we don't like verbal judo the guy and he doesn't <laughs> listen to us, right? Which is we hope that'll happen. Maybe yeah. it doesn't and that's okay, but we can go into it knowing that we're able to think clearly, and that's what mindfulness can do. It can help us think more clearly. It helps us access the rational, thoughtful part of our brain so that we can make good decisions. I mean, that's key for police officers to be able to do. But then to the empathy piece, it also allows us to see that, you know what, even though this guy's being an asshole right now, like he's having a hard time, he's not trying to give us a hard time for the most part, right? Yeah. There are some yeah. people that just like to pick the fight, right? But by <laughs> and large, most people, and if you have that attitude, right? Most people are just having a hard time. They want to be heard. They want to be listened to. And we can do that with tactics in mind too. You sure. know, we can be aware of our surroundings, but still have empathy when we approach these calls. So it really increases our interconnectedness with the people we serve. So I, I could go on and on about no, the that, benefits. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. It's actually a perfect segue directly into my next question there. Uh, in your blog, you write about the complexity of the relationship between the community and the police officers, which is, you know, at, at times already strained. And then you go into a situation where, you know, somebody's ramped up and now you're ramped up because you got the call and you know what you're going to be expecting. Uh, but you use in your blog a term, uh, called policing from within. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what you mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that the term policing, you know, by and large means authority and control. And when we meet any type of resistance with the public that we serve, and, and again, 
again, keeping in mind that they're approaching us in the situation from their own lens of experience. And it could be that they have had a negative experience with an officer before. They've never met me. They've never, you know, but, they, but they've already judged me by the uniform when I walk in the door, simply because what does the uniform signify? Authority and control. But if we're able to sort of police ourselves and we're able to sort of create this inner resilience that really allows us to police with our whole heart, it sounds like a really soft term, but when we look at ourselves as part of the community and not apart from the community, we see that, you know what, I struggle just like this guy who's addicted to heroin struggles. It may not be the same struggle, but I can relate to feelings of being desperate of being so sad that I don't know where the way out is, okay? Mm -hmm. And so when I sort of like police myself from within, I can see the common humanity and it helps me approach the call with a little bit more understanding. And maybe that comes out in the form of, you know, words of encouragement. Or maybe I say to him like, dude, I, I know you're having a really tough day. Like I, I had a day like that last week and you wouldn't believe you know, you've got this sometimes, like I had one guy, he was like 300 pound guy and his fists were clenched. And he was like, oh, I'm just so mad. at." He was like a 35 year old guy still living at home with mom and no judgment, but you know, <laughs> and he's like, oh, I'm just so pissed at my mom and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh man, I'm like, I know how that feels. Like I still argue with my parents every day. And yeah. he's like, you do, you know? And it was just like, you could, you could physically see his face soften. And again, it's because I wasn't going into that call being like, what a loser still living at home with mom, like get out, get a job. And if I had yeah. approached the call that way, it would have been a totally different outcome. Oh, of course. Oh yeah. So yeah. that's policing from within. It's managing yourself, you know, to come at things without judgment. Right. I love that. Uh, a couple of things there that I, I wish that I'd had some type of mindfulness training earlier on in, in my military career so that I could have gone uh, you know, on some of the combat operations that I went on with more empathy, uh, I'm sure uh, not just more empathy, but also more um, situational awareness, quite honestly, because uh, I think it, it does help to raise that. I mean, that's re really just another term for mindfulness is situational awareness. But um, that empathy, when you're dealing with the enemy, I mean, we just call everyone the enemy, right? When we, when we first land on the combat operation, um, they may not be the enemy. They may just be a villager, right? Uh, and it's it's important to uh, have that empathy. Uh, and when you're talking about there on the streets, that's uh, or you know on on a particular call, I think that probably helps to diffuse some many many situations that could have escalated into something that they never would have otherwise. Um, I don't. I can't remember if you have kids. Do you have kids? I do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, have you seen the the movie Inside Out? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Great <Yep>. movie. Uh, <laughs> and and uh, whenever I think of empathy, I think of um, when the character Sadness is sitting on the cliff there with uh, the pink um, bing bong. Um, and I don't know if you remember this particular scene, but I, I, I've got a three-year-old little girl and she's watched Inside Out probably a hundred times in the last few weeks. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, the, there's a scene there where the one character, Joy, who always wants to be happy, uh, is trying to convince this other character, Bing Bong, to be happy by just telling him happy things. Uh, whereas the other character, Sadness, sits down next to him and says, you know, 
I understand what you're going through. That must be really hard. You must be really sad. And he instantly changes uh, and, and realizes that there's somebody there that can understand. I don't know why I got off on that tangent, but uh, it was just uh, when you were talking about talking to that 35-year-old guy that may be living at home with his mom and just saying, hey, I know it's really tough. That reminded me of that scene in the movie. Yeah. So I'll, uh, I'll uh, come back that's to the, the topic at hand. <laughs> no, so, that's so perfect though. But you're absolutely right. That's it. It's about being able to sort of like level with the person. Yeah. just say, hey, yeah. like, I get it. And you know what? Maybe he turns around and goes to punch me in the face. Like, hey, <laughs> you know, I gave it my A+. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. But more yeah. often than not, it works. Yeah, that's awesome. So um, you were doing this initially with youth. And I, I was going to ask you, how did you present this training to police, to the police agencies, to the police force? But it sounds like they can, actually came to you and asked for it. Um, now I'm assuming that there are times when you're actually going to different police agencies and presenting uh, or, or letting them know that this is something that you present. How, how is that initially received at those different agencies when you walk in and you're like, hey, I would like to teach mindfulness to your police officers? Is, <laughs> does that go over well? Uh, yes and no. Yeah. Um, most, I mean, most of, most of my outside work up apart from my agency, my training work that I do is um, sort of word of mouth or through social media. So people kind of seek me out when they're looking for that specific thing. But with that said, a lot of times it's department leadership. And if department leadership is going to tell their troops, you know, like similar to military, <laughs> this is what you're going to do. Everybody's going to be like, mm, screw you. We're not doing that. We're not going to sit and get in touch with our feelings. You must be crazy. <laughs> or yeah. sometimes it's the opposite. It'll be, you know, one officer who's interested and say, hey, you know, I'd love for you to come to my agency. You know, if I can bring it to my higher ups, you know, would you come? And again, they're one person in a body of maybe, you know, 75 officer department that yep. is forward thinking, but the rest aren't. And so when I approached a department about sort of, I hate to call it selling mindfulness, but it kind of is. Sure. It's really about peeling back the misconceptions and using other words than mindfulness or meditation. So maybe it's talking about resiliency. Maybe mm -hmm. it's talking about emotional intelligence. Those language is really important, right? And if I yeah. go to a police agency and say, hey, we're all going to sit around and meditate, they're going to be like, mm, no thanks. <laughs> but if I say, I'm going to come and we're going to talk about emotional intelligence, we're going to talk about how you can better connect with your community. We're going to talk about ways to manage stress. We're going to talk about ways to improve sleep if we sort of sell it that way, it mm -hmm. makes it a lot more palpable. You know, it's, yeah. it's watered down, it's vanilla, but, but it's okay. And, and that's how we kind of get people in the door. And then right. the rest is up to them because I can only present a certain amount of material and the rest is on them to really kind of understand and to process and to maybe work with somebody um, to kind of build their own practice. And so it's sort of an, an introduction but it has to be introduced in a way that makes sense for the culture of, of these professions. Oh yeah, totally. The same, same with the, the SEAL teams in, uh, you know, we're always looking for an edge, some way that we can perform better, outperform the enemy, outperform our fellow SEALs. Um, mm -hmm. And, and 
when I tell people that I, hey, I've got something that can help you to perform better, then they're all about it. They want to know what it is. But uh, if I go to them up front and I'm like, hey, man, I, I want to talk to you about mindfulness and meditation. Uh, it's almost like being uh, a, a missionary <laughs> you know, for yes. church. And you're like, I want to talk yes. to you about Jesus, um, yes. which, hey, there's nothing wrong with that. But the way people receive that, <laughs> yep, like, exactly. it's kind of, you get a little bit of pushback. Mm-hmm. Um, you're at the door with a flyer. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, how many agencies have you actually uh, taken this training to? So in the past, let's see. So for the youth, Uh, kind of officer training. I've been doing that for six years. And so it's probably been upwards of two to 300 agencies. Um, Sometimes it's only like one representative from the agency. So it'll be a multi-agency training where they send their youth officer. Um, And then for the mindfulness piece, I would say I'm at about 25 to 30 um, agencies that I've worked with, whether virtually or in person. Um, and I do a lot of consulting too. You know, a lot of people just are, are asking, Hey, you know, how can I even start a wellness program in my Mm -hmm. agency and not just mindfulness, but everything on the spectrum, because we know that more officers are dying at their own hands than in the line of duty. And it's a real problem and leadership is starting to recognize it and addressing it. So I do a lot of consultation too, just, you know, kicking around ideas and, you know, hey, try this, see if it mm-hmm. sticks, you know? Yeah. 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 I've had several uh, law enforcement officers on uh, in, in the past few months. Um, Rich Gerling, as a matter of fact, I think you know him. Yeah. Um, he's great. Yeah. He was on uh, maybe two weeks ago and his, his episode should be airing next week. Um, he had a lot of the same things as far as, you know, dealing with law enforcement officers taking their own lives, which is, uh, you know, a difficult statistic to hear, um, but I'm I'm glad there are people like yourself and Rich who are out there doing good work to to help to bring those numbers down. Um, can you tell us about the Leap program and what that is and how uh, you came to found that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, it was really reflecting when I kind of uh, I was a few years back to work after you know having a break in service, and I really said, now is the time, you know, I, I was once that 22 year old girl that wanted to help and do these programs and support people. And I said, I'm not going to sit back and wait for it to happen anymore. I'm going to go out and I'm going to do it. And so in my off time, I had come up with what I wanted to be an after school program. It was actually going to be for girls. And I really wanted to empower young women in, um, you know, these areas of overall health mindset, um, self-defense, the ability to really care for themselves and be empowered. And so I put a curriculum together and I brought it to the principal of our middle school. And I said, I have this idea. I'd love to do an after-school program. Is this something you would consider? And she's like, let me take a look at the curriculum and I'll let you know. So she looked through the curriculum and she said, how would you like to come in and teach this to all of our middle schoolers in the health classroom? So yeah, so it was pretty amazing. And you know, it was kind of my foot in the door, literally into um, having a good uh, test group of students to do this program with. And it was really having them dig into concepts of mindfulness and teaching them ways to breathe. And really the qualitative evidence spoke for itself. The kids, I would have them do reflections after we would do a mindfulness practice or um, a breathing exercise or a contemplate. I use the word contemplation with the kids because 
again, meditation sometimes yeah. has that spiritual connotation. And so I'll call it like a relaxation or something. And their reflections were, I mean, they brought me to tears because they, you know, the kids were saying, you know, I've never been able to feel um, this relaxed or I've never felt that there's nothing wrong in my life just for the, these five minutes. And to see, you know, a, a 13 year olds are, it can be a tough audience and yeah. to see, right. And to see a 13 year old really be able to self-reflect boys and girls you know, saying that it felt good to know that nothing bad was happening for the moment. You know, um, my stress level is constantly out of 10. You know, it was crazy to see how much stress that these kids are under. And, you know, some of the pushback that I would get in the beginning with this program, because, you know, anytime like you're an officer and you teach kids like, oh, you're a kitty cop and, you know, <laughs> we like to knock each other. Right. Yeah. And, sure. uh, I'm like, yeah, but you know what? We're giving these kids skills so that when they're 22, they're not addicted to heroin and breaking right. into houses in our community. And, you know, um, we have to be forward thinking. That's sure. community policing. And so once I started kind of conceptualizing that and people were seeing the data and the evidence, they were like, this is pretty cool. And that's kind of when it, it started to spread. So I had some local officers, you know, and especially I had some officers in neighboring towns that were coaches and they said, you know, this would be really good stuff to give to like my football team. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Professional athletes do this all the time. They visualize, yeah. you know, they have a meditative practice. It's a huge part, you know, of professional sports as well. And um, so then it just kind of spun off from there. So that's a, that's it beautiful. In a nutshell. I love it. I love it. Uh, everything about that. I mean, the, the fact that you're, one, helping those uh, stressed youth have those contemplative, introspective uh, times where they're at peace. And then the fact that those, those youth are going to be, you know, the future, right? And you're enabling them to deal with stress, giving them the tools to be more resilient, um, more self-reliant. So it, that's awesome. Everything about it. Um, another piece that uh, I know you do is the inner and outer self-defense. I've seen you talking about that on LinkedIn. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, this is, uh, I smile when I talk about this because it's really, it's one of my true loves. Um, it's awesome. I, I love it. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of, it's unique because I've never seen um, any program really blend. I mean, martial arts, right? Always blend some type of mental, you know, focus yeah. with, you know, self-defense, but I've never seen it um, kind of done in a way where you're building sort of a foundation of mindfulness. And really, um, in particularly for, for women that I work with, it's really looking at the way that women are making choices that aren't safe simply because they're distracted. So maybe it's, and listen, I'm guilty of it too sometimes, right? I think of like when my daughter was a toddler, I'd be walking into the store holding her hands while I'm, you know, on the phone works calling me. I've got bags in my hand. I mean, there's no greater way to make yourself a victim than that. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of looking at how mindfulness teaches us to stop multitasking, to focus on one task at a time, which is what our brain thrives on anyway and really being present so that when I'm walking into the store with my daughter, I'm walking into the store with my daughter. You know, mm -hmm. I'm aware of what's going on around me. If somebody were to walk up behind me, if a car were to come in front of me, you know, and so I talk about ways that mindfulness keeps us safe. And if we can cultivate that quality of stillness in the mind, it really lends itself to greater situational awareness. 
And then when all else fails, you can resort to your self-defense skills. So it's really learning ways to protect yourself on the inside and on the outside. So I've kind of crafted this blended class that integrates mindfulness, meditation, ways to increase your intuition, because we all have that, and blending that with the self-defense piece. So it's been a really fun course that I've taught for uh, probably two years now. I've really been teaching that uh, pretty consistently, and I just brought it online too. So there's an online course. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, we'll have to uh, get all those links from you later and make sure that those are in the, uh, the podcast and YouTube notes so that people can check those out. Nice. That's, uh, that's great. Do you know, uh, by chance, uh, Kate Tumulty Felice? No. She's a former uh, law enforcement officer um, and now is, is also in the mindfulness space. And she is working with first responders in the New Jersey area uh, to develop stuff for the right now what's going on with COVID-19. Uh, they're doing video series called... Uh, I'm going to screw this up, but I think it's resilient minds on the front lines. Um, and they're just doing like little eight minute video clips that, uh, that are out there for first responders to help to deal with what it is they're seeing, what it is they're feeling. Um, and then just to help to develop resiliency in general, I'm going to have to connect you to, I think there's a, a, a lot of, uh, a lot of synergy. Yeah. <laughs> in, I would love that. You guys do. So, nice. um, well, what about you personally? What does your personal practice look like? Mm. So <laughs> mornings are very important to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, uh, it's kind of funny because I was never a morning person. I was actually one of those people that was like, oh, mornings. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but it's also sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? It's, it's mindset. If we, if we think that mornings suck, like they're going to suck, yeah, you know? Yeah. And I think there's so much kind of cultural kind of... Um, promotion of that you know like I know I see like t-shirts or mugs that are like you know not a morning person or whatever first um, coffee or something like that yes totally (laughs) and it's sort of like that permission giving right that you know oh well mornings are supposed to be this way you know until I really started caring for myself you know I as much as I still enjoy treats and stuff here and there by and large I try and eat a plant-based diet you know it just it helps with my energy and it helps me wake up in the morning so that I don't feel like I have, you know, a sugar hangover. Or I don't feel dehydrated. And so I'm able to get up in the morning and I have this time before everybody in my household wakes up. You know, it's, yeah. I have a husband, I have three stepkids and my daughter is nine. Um, and so our house is busy and we have yeah. a couple dogs. And <laughs> so getting up early is really um, my time to myself. And I have, you know, a process where I make my coffee, I sit, I meditate, I drink some more coffee. It's still like my biggest vice and I'm okay yeah, with that. Yeah, me too. Me too. <laughs> I'll never give it up and I'm completely fine with that. <laughs> but it's um, days that I do miss that morning practice for one reason or another. I, I can feel it throughout my day. I can feel the difference when I don't start my day in meditation. And my meditation isn't an hour seated meditation. It's roughly Mm -hmm. 15 to 20 minutes in the morning. Um, And, you know, sometimes it's longer and sometimes it's a little bit shorter, but on average, it's about 15 to 20 minutes. And it really sets the tone for my day. And then the way that mindfulness shows up during my everyday life is 
just sort of dropping these moments of mindfulness into the things I'm already doing. So when I notice myself multitasking, maybe I peel back a little bit and say, all right, wow, I'm doing way too many things right now. I need to slow down. Or I have, you know, a challenging call at work. Maybe I need to come leave that call when it's over with. Maybe I just sit in my patrol car and I just take a few breaths or I go, you know, we have, we're in the suburbs, so we have some nice, you know, landscape around us. So maybe I go and I, you know, sit at one of like the ponds in town and I just experience nature. You know, it sounds like hokey, but it no, really does all. work. You know, it, totally. it helps you get out of your head and just feel reconnected. And um, that's really how it just kind of plays out in everyday life. And then I practice before bed too. And then sometimes there's a yoga practice thrown in there during the nice. day too. But it's, um, but it's keeping it fluid too. And I feel like what a, a barrier to mindfulness for many people is that they don't have time or mm-hmm. they don't know how to do it. And sometimes it, apart from my morning practice, every day looks a little bit different in terms of how I practice mindfulness during my day. And I sure. think that makes it easier for people to sort of subscribe to it if they know it can be flexible. It doesn't have to be regimented. Right. Well, what about your, uh, you mentioned having, uh, you know, a pretty full house there. Uh, does anybody else in your family practice? Um, my daughter, uh, begrudgingly, <laughs> she, <laughs> she does practice, but on her own terms. And yeah. so mindfulness has been a part of her life since she was like in my belly, <laughs> you know, she's, <laughs> she's, you know, grown up with it. And she teaches me so much about mindfulness because, and you have a three-year-old, like our children are naturally mindful. They're inquisitive. They notice things. And my favorite story to tell of of her is there was a day that I was upstairs and it was one of those mornings. You know, I say I'm a morning person, but sometimes I have those mornings like we all do. And uh, I'm rushing around and like, you know, my uniform wasn't clean or like something. And she's yelling from downstairs, like, mom, mommy, come quick. And I'm like, what, what now? Like, (laughs) you know, like what could possibly else go wrong this morning? So I run downstairs and she's sitting on the couch and she grabs my hand. She says, mom, come, come sit here, come sit here. So I sit on the couch and I notice the sun is like beating through the window. And she's like, mommy, if you sit here, you can feel the sun on your face, feel how warm it is. Right. And I'm just like, that stopped me in my tracks. And I was like, that's mindfulness. It's, yeah. it's giving us that quality of like playfulness and inquisitiveness. And, you know, so she'll sit here and I'll be like, do you want to do some breathing with mommy? And she'll be like, no, but <laughs> she'll go outside and she'll point out like the way that the light comes through the trees and like, and that's her way of practicing. Um, so she practiced. And then interestingly enough, and I, he'd be okay with me saying this, but my husband, after all of these years together, came to me uh, recently, and he's like, I really want to learn more about this mindfulness stuff. Nice. And, you know, he's like, big, like, SWAT guy, whatever, you know, (laughs) he's he's starting to, like, see the benefits of the practice, and, you know, and we can't force it on people, you know, Um, I hope that I, I model it in my household, but, you know, I don't force it on anybody you know they'll they'll come do it when they're ready and um so it's kind of neat that we can kind of go on this journey together you know he and i as i show him a few things and maybe he shows me some stuff too who knows there you go yeah Yeah. work as a team totally well awesome michelle coming to the uh, the end of the hour here uh, what have we not spoken about that you want uh our listeners to hear yeah um 
you know, I think the, the biggest thing with starting any kind of mindfulness practice, if, if people are listening and they're interested in the topic, but they just don't know where to start, it's, it's starting small, you know, not biting off too much. And I think, you know, as a society, it's like we're either all in or we're all out. You know, we, we operate in extremes. And, you know, think about when people start a new diet, it's like, oh, I'm going to do keto. I'm going to do Atkins. I'm going to, I'm not going to eat any carbs for the rest of my life. And it's like, <laughs> that's, so that's not sustainable. That's not yeah. going to work. And so if you're going to approach a mindfulness practice, don't force yourself to, to sit in meditation for a half an hour. Maybe you try two minutes to start. Maybe mm -hmm. it's three minutes. Um, maybe you just reflect on where in your life you want to bring some mindfulness to, some non-judgment, some curiosity, and um, you know, take every piece of advice with a grain of salt. You know, maybe you end up taking bits and pieces from things that you hear and you kind of craft your own practice because my practice is going to be very different from yours and from my husband's and from my best friends. For sure. Um, so I would say just slowly, slowly, slowly integrate. Yeah. Nice. I love it. And uh, you mentioned some, some websites and some, uh, some links that you had. Uh, if people wanted to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to contact you? What are some links that they can reach you on and see some of uh, what you're all about? Sure. So I have everything is on my website. It's just my first and last name, michellepalladini.com. And I have everything on there, um, including, you know, some blogs where I give, you know, different mindfulness tips. Uh, my inner and outer self-defense course is on that website as well. My contact information is there. It's just contact at michellepalladini.com. And I do all the social media. So <laughs> you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, it's a great way to just connect with people. And I really kind of, I went from being a non-user of social media to really seeing the benefits and keeping all of that within balance too. So for sure. So I'm, I'm the same there. way. I'm the same way. And that's, <laughs> and that's how we met uh, was through yeah. social media. So uh, yeah. Michelle, it's, it's been awesome having you on the show. Thanks so much for, for joining us. Thanks for sharing everything that you uh, experienced in your your time as a police officer and then what it is you're doing now with mindfulness not just for yourself but for for the youth and for our, our law enforcement uh, officers who are out there you know fighting the good fight on the on the proverbial front line so thanks very much for being on the show and then thanks for what you're doing thank you i appreciate that all right michelle well until we speak again stay safe and stay healthy thank you thank you all right for our listeners thanks for listening to our show Please check out Veterans Path online at veteranspath.org. We too are on social media. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please hit the subscribe button and share it with your friends and family. And remember, listeners can directly support Veterans Path by clicking on the support button on the podcast or by visiting veteranspath.org forward slash donate. Thank you all and have a blessed day. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Veterans Path Podcast. Please follow us on social media and think about sharing your story with us there and potentially on the show. Together, we can make mental health a priority, improving and saving lives.